morning. It's great to see you this morning. As Debbie said, my name is Ollie. Um, and yeah, it's great to be over here this morning. I don't know if any of you were at the baptism service a few weeks ago in the evening, um, but it was amazing to watch 26 people um, kind of get up, get baptized, and declare their love for Jesus. It was such a good evening. And I guess those people decided to get baptized because they um, have seen God move in their lives. They've seen God change their life, and they're now in a place where they want to surrender everything they have to him. And so... That's why they got baptized. And I think when we talk about surrendering and surrendering our lives to Jesus, um, it's something that we probably hear quite a bit, isn't it? We sing about it in some of our songs and we read about it. But what, what does it actually look like to surrender our lives to Jesus on like a day-to-day basis? And in the weeks um, leading up to the baptism service, we chat with all the people who want to get baptized about loads of things. And this is one of those things about what does it actually look like to surrender your life to Jesus. And we refer to this little book. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. And it always makes me smile because you you probably can see, but it's one of the smallest books I've ever seen. And in the top corner, it says New Expanded Edition, um, (laughs) which does make you wonder how small it was in the first place. But, But the book makes a very simple analogy. And it It basically says that if you imagine your heart to be like a house, and in that house you've got loads of different rooms, loads of different areas. So maybe you go into the house and you've got the study, and the study is like your work life, what you do during the week or what you do for a living. And then maybe you go through to the kitchen, and the kitchen is more about your appetites and desires and the things that we sometimes try and satisfy ourselves with. So it could be money, um, qualifications, success, pleasing other people, any of those things. Then you go through to the living room, and the living room is your hobbies, like the way that you socialize and the things that you do in your spare time. Then we go upstairs, and the bedroom would be um, to do with sexuality, relationships, that kind of thing. You go into the ensuite bathroom, and the mirror might be the way that you look at yourself and the way that you view yourself. And it even mentions the little closet in the hall where you stuff everything that you don't want other people to see. And so hopefully that makes sense. You've, you've got the analogy of all these different areas in our life, all these different rooms in our house. And so for the sake of this analogy, we'll use my house. Hopefully now. Okay. Um, obviously that's just a little bit of a joke. Um, I actually live in a little flat in Beeston, um, which, which is great, but it only actually has four rooms in the entire flat. And one of them is like an open plan living room kitchen and dining room, so it doesn't really lend itself to this analogy of like all the different rooms in your house. So maybe think of a slightly bigger house than that, lots of different rooms, and essentially what the guy says is when we decide to follow Jesus, it's like we open the front door and we say, Jesus, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want you to come and live here and make it your own. I want you to use it as if it is yours. And then if, if you've done that, then the next question which is is quite challenging, is are you up for Jesus coming into every single room in your life? Are you up for him coming into every different area? Your relationships, your job, the way that you speak to people, every tiny little area of your life. Because that's challenging, isn't it? The thought of every different thing that you do. And yet that is the invitation to every single one of us to do that on a day-to-day basis, to surrender every little bit that we've got And I don't know what you think about when you hear that. Maybe you've been a Christian for six months or a year, 10 years, 20 years. 
But for every single one of us, that question is there for us again every day. Are you up for giving Jesus free reign of every single room? Because I think sometimes a lot of us initially, we let Jesus in to the house with great enthusiasm and he has like complete access to a few rooms and he like throws open the curtains, dusts off the cobwebs, like moves the furniture around, decorates it so the room is looking like the best it can possibly be. But then maybe there's a few rooms in the house that we haven't actually opened the door, the door is still closed. And it's almost like we're, we're walking around, we're giving Jesus the tour of the house and then maybe he sees one of those doors and he starts going towards it and we're like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, you don't wanna see that, it's just some old junk. Um, why don't you come back downstairs and check out the new tiles in my kitchen? And you, you try and keep him away from those areas, sometimes intentionally and sometimes not. But I don't know about you, but I think Jesus wants more for us than that. Like, I think he wants to transform every area of our life and not just one or two. So I guess for us, are there any rooms that are off limits? Anything that we need to let Jesus into? And maybe it's that you, you treat your life at work completely different to here on a Sunday. You, um, you don't really let your faith interact with the rest of the week. Maybe it's that you plow all of your energy into being successful and having a good reputation and you don't really allow Jesus to shape your identity and who you are. Or maybe there are things in your life that literally nobody else would know about, like problems with debt or pornography or anger, unforgiveness, addictions, loads of different things, big and small. Because all of us have got areas in our lives that we need to surrender to Jesus. None of us are exempt from that things that we need to let go of. And, and when we do that, when we allow Jesus to go into those rooms, he can do amazing things. He can completely transform them. But it does require us to let him in first. And so the question is, how do we do that? How do we become more surrendered to Jesus? How do we go on that journey of giving him every part of our lives? Well, a little, a little while ago, I was reading my Bible, and I stumbled across this prayer um, at the end of Psalm 139, and it is absolutely amazing. And some of you will probably be quite familiar with Psalm 139. It talks lots about how God intimately knows us inside and out, about how he knits us together in our mother's womb. We, were, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we love those bits. But then after that, this prayer seems to come out of nowhere and, and is so challenging. And I think that King David, who, who wrote the Psalm, was probably thinking about what we just mentioned, like how do I surrender every part of my life to God? And so it'll come up on the screens, but if you, if you have your Bibles, it'll be Psalm 139, and then verses 23 to 24. And it says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So David is essentially saying, God, inspect me, have a look around, and if anything isn't quite right, then try, lead me in a new direction. I don't want that to still be there. And I don't know about you, but when I read that prayer, I can't really get away from the fact that it is a pretty bold and challenging prayer to pray. To ask God if there is anything in your life that isn't quite right, to see if there is anything that isn't quite of him and allow him to speak into that and to change it. Well, that is a bold prayer to pray, but I think if we could all get to a place of genuinely praying this prayer, it would transform us individually and it would transform us as a church. 
And so I'd love to have a quick look at the prayer in more detail. So the first bit, um, David says, search me and know my heart. He basically invites God to have a look around in all of his life. And the thing about this line is when you read it in light of the rest of the psalm, it doesn't really seem to make much sense because we talked about the rest of the psalm a minute ago, but it's quite a long psalm and it goes into a lot of detail about how well God already knows us, about how intimately he knows us. And the psalm literally opens by saying, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And so when you read that, it doesn't really sound like there's much more searching to do. Like God clearly already knows us and cares about every detail. And so it begs the question, why is David praying that prayer? Why is he inviting God to search him when God clearly already has? And I guess if we go back to that analogy of the house, it's almost like God is the architect, architect sorry, he has planned it all out. He knows us. He knows all the nooks and crannies in our lives. He knows us. But we still have to choose to open the front door. We still have to choose to regularly let him in and say to him, please, God, search all of me. And if anything isn't the way that you would want it to be, then help me to surrender it to you. Now, we're talking about quite a serious spring clean of your house, basically. And just a little bit of a chance for group honesty, I guess. Um, Who here, other than me, is... Um, ever guilty of a quite superficial clean of your house? Anyone ever been in that situation? There's definitely not as many hands as I thought there would be. Um, maybe we're not being as honest as we might want to be. Um, so maybe you, you, um, you get home from work and you've got small group coming in like half an hour. You've got people coming around for dinner and you just have to blitz the house. And so you almost look at your house or your flat or whatever and you think, how can I give the impression of tidiness? rather than actually dealing with all the stuff that's going on. I remember I, a few years ago, I lived with some amazing and wonderful guys um, who were great in many ways, but one thing they weren't necessarily on board with was the concept of washing up their own stuff. Their pots and pans and plates. Does anyone know anyone like that? Yeah, that, there's a lot more for that than your own tidiness. But um, it regularly stacked up quite high in our house. And I remember one time my mum was coming to visit. And I remember looking at this stack of washing up thinking, I cannot let my mum see that. And so what I did is I gathered it all up, stuck it in a cupboard and shut the door. Um, And mum came around and she had no idea. Um, And it was great. Has anyone else ever done that before or is that actually just me? I know some people have, that's good. And, um, and, you know, earlier on I mentioned that cupboard in our house where we, we stuff all the things that we don't want people to see. We definitely have that cupboard. It is full to the brim. And it's, it's true, isn't it? But I think that's also true of us. Like in our, in our hearts, in our lives, we have that place um, that we don't want people to see, that we might be ashamed or embarrassed if people were actually to see it. Like you might be the only person in your life who knows what's in that area. You know, I'm not going to embarrass anyone this morning. That is not my intention at all. But I guess if as a church we want to move forward, then we need to open that cupboard. We need to stop trying to hide things from God, whether they've been there for six months or 30 years. And for some of us, that might just mean coming to God today and just admitting that it's there, that there is something that's been going on. There is something that you want to sort out, admitting that things aren't perfect. For others of us, it may mean there's something that, like a particular issue, that you've known has been an issue for a long time. 
And today you need to come back to God again and be like, look, God, I don't know how to deal with this without you. I want to move forward. Because coming to God is the only way that we can actually begin that process. And he can take away any shame. So I guess the question for us is, are we up for opening that door, for inviting God to search us? Okay, so the next line um, talks about anxious thoughts. It says, um, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Now, I wonder if any of us have any anxious thoughts this morning. I'm sure we probably do have a few, from really trivial ones to more serious ones. The trivial ones being, did I lock the car? Does my breath smell okay to the person next to me? Um, Maybe, did I leave the hair straighteners on? And that's not for me, as you can tell. Um, For me, it's like five minutes before I come up here, I'm thinking, oh, pants, did I wear this same outfit last time that I spoke? Like, if I get sweat patches, are they going to come up on the big screen and then everyone can see them? But we have far more serious ones as well, don't we? Like, what am I going to do with my life? Will I ever meet the right person? Do people like me? How on earth am I going to afford to do that? I'm waiting on those test results. We, We have far more serious ones. And those are all legitimate concerns. There are things in life that are tough and are hard. And I'm not at all belittling them. And I think particularly... When things are outside of our control, so those things that I just listed, most of them are exactly that, aren't they? They're, they're outside of our control. They're either dependent on other people or they're not something that you can just quickly solve. And so they create these anxious thoughts. And I guess for all of us, we have a few options of how we can deal with those things, don't we? we sometimes, if we're stressed or anxious about something, we, we push into it even further. And so if it's work, we work even harder to try and sort it out and it just consumes us and it just spirals even more. Or maybe if it's body image, we we go to the gym, we get some new clothes, but the reality is it's never actually enough and if if anything, the pressure to look good just increases and increases. Or maybe we don't press into it, but we do the opposite. We run away from it and we pretend like it's not an issue and then every so often it rears its head or it's always just slightly eating away in the back of our mind. So we try a few different things to deal with our anxious thoughts, don't we? But the Bible is is pretty clear about it. It says the best possible thing that you can do with those anxious thoughts or those fears is to bring them to God and to trust him with them. In in 1 Peter, another book of the Bible, chapter 5, verse 7, it says this. It says, cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Or the NIV, which I think is on the screen, says, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Like, it's not complicated. Jesus cares for us, and so we actually just have to go and tell him. We have to be honest with him about the things that we're struggling with and allow him to share that. Because if we hold on to it, then then he's not going to do it. And, you know, for some of us, it might mean coming up for ministry today and saying, look, God, I don't know how to handle these anxious thoughts. I don't know what to do about this situation, but I want to trust you with it, even though I know that's hard. And... If you read through the Psalms, like David had plenty of things to be anxious about. He had armies hunting him down. He had people trying to kill him. He had loads of different things. But the thing that kept him going through all of that and the thing that becomes clear on every page of the Psalms is that he had this intimate relationship with God. That he was able to deal with all these anxious thoughts and things like that because he had developed this day-to-day relationship of trusting God with those things when they cropped up. And so with that came this increasing trust and security in God. 
And that's what we all need, isn't it? That level of trust and security. But we have to develop it. And I think David put this little line in his prayer because he knew that actually our anxious thoughts are often the things that hold us back. Our fears and anxieties. And the reality is the more anxious we become about something, the more time we spend thinking about it, and then it just swells and becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and far bigger than it probably needs to. And in fact, society today is arguably more anxious than it has ever been before. There's all kinds of things going on. And here, we have a prayer that was written thousands of years ago that speaks directly to, to you and me about that situation. I don't know about you, but I think life would be a lot better if I wasn't swamped by anxious thoughts and fears about things. If I could learn to trust Jesus and hand them over to him. And so I guess, what, what might you be anxious about this morning? Big or small? Because I think probably for all of us it is something, but if we can develop that relationship with Jesus and learn to trust him, then we will experience the freedom that comes with that. But it starts essentially with a choice. On a, on a day like today, choosing to trust him so that he can actually show you how faithful he is. But our choice comes first. We have to go to him even when we don't feel like we can. So are we going to trust God with our anxious thoughts today? Okay, and then the next line um, says, see if there is any offensive way in me. Anything offensive. And I don't know about you, but this is the line I found the most challenging because the reality is that none of us, including David who wrote this, are perfect. We're, we're just not. And so when David prays that prayer and he says to God, God, see if there is anything in me that is offensive. It's not really a question of whether or not God is actually going to find anything. It's a question of whether we're willing to pray that prayer or not in the first place. Whether we're going to give God permission to come and have a look around. Like, are we going to open those doors to the rooms that we've never let him into before, that we're scared to let him into? Are we going to allow him to speak into anything no matter how painful it might initially be. You know, for me, there are many things that I need to work on, so I won't bore you with the whole list of them today. But one thing that I do know God has been speaking to me about is the way that I interact with other people. And I, I mentioned last time that I spoke that I am extremely competitive. Um, I blame my dad because he's the only person I know more competitive than me. But um, I am one of those really annoying people that takes every little game really seriously. Because for me, the taking part isn't actually fun. The winning is the fun bit. Um, and so my friends will vouch for me when I say I am a terrible loser. And for example, um, before my wife and I got married, I was visiting her family over Christmas for the first time. And so I was thinking, like, come on, Ollie, be on your best behavior, be polite, like, help out, work the charm, that kind of thing. And unfortunately, Rhea's family quite like to play games. Um, and like they know that they're quite competitive, but in hindsight, my entrance into the family was probably slightly embarrassing for Rhea. So we were playing a game of spoons. I don't know if anyone's played spoons before, but if you haven't, it's like a really quick card game where you've got to grab a spoon before someone else does, essentially. And in my first visit to my future in-laws, um, I saw my mother-in-law going for the same spoon that I was going to go for. And she was probably like a split second ahead of me, but like in that moment, I just dived for it, I grabbed it, and my nail caught her hand and took a little chunk of skin out of her hand and drew blood. Um, but I won, so it was okay. 
And it's, it's safe to say I made a, a little bit of a name for myself that Christmas. And you'd hope and think that I might learn from that experience and next year be like, okay, Oli, time to rein it in a little bit. Um, but this year, the annual game of spoons came round. And one thing led to another, and somehow I ended up with my sister-in-law in like an arm lock until, until she gave me the spoon. And again, I won. But the worst thing about this whole situation is that I don't even really see the problem with that. Like, surely you're meant to try and win. Um, but every so often I get that look from Rio and I'm like, okay, maybe I need to bring it in a tiny bit. But what I have noticed is that even though being a little bit competitive is okay, there's, no, there's nothing really wrong with that, I sometimes bring that with me into the way that I interact with others. So sometimes, so it's always in my head probably more, more than anything else, but I don't always cheer other people on and celebrate their success as much as I should. Or if I feel a bit threatened by someone, I might try and put myself above them. Like, I don't like to look bad. I don't like to take the blame for things. And so that comes with me everywhere that I go. And they're all probably things that no one else would probably really notice. They're, they're in my head more than anywhere else. But I know that they hold me back. And I know that God wants more for me than that when I interact with other people. And the thing with this line, the offensive ways line, is that the hardest offensive ways are the one to spot are the ones in ourselves, aren't they? We don't really have any problems spotting the offensive ways in other people. If anything, I think we're probably quite gifted at it. But when it comes to our colleagues or our families or husbands or wives, like that's something that we find quite easy. But that isn't what's being asked of us in this prayer. The prayer does not say, search my family. It doesn't say, search that guy at work who drives me up the wall. It says, search me see if there is any offensive way in me. And like, we are so easily upset by other people sometimes, aren't we? They say something or do something, and we're offended by it. And then sometimes we just go and moan about it to the person next to us. But what the Bible is saying here is not, how are you offended? It's saying, how are you offensive? It's saying, what is your offensive way? Not, is, what is the offensive way of the person next to you? It switches the focus that we usually have from others onto us and encourages us to ask that question, God, what's the offensive way in me? And maybe God is even saying, next time you're at work and about to gossip about the person who has annoyed you, are you willing to pray this prayer first? Or next time you're convinced that you've been mistreated, are you able to say, look, God, see if there's any offensive way in me before I do anything else? Because that's hard, isn't it? particularly in the moment. But this isn't my opinion. This isn't just Ollie's helpful Sunday morning advice. Like This is what the Bible has to say to me and to you. Like, are we up for asking that today, saying, God, is there anything in me that maybe you would like to work on? Now, if you're like me, after those last three points, you're probably feeling slightly guilty um, and feeling a bit down, and you're like, gee, thanks, Ollie, for ruining my Sunday. Um, so sorry about that. But the good news is that that isn't the point of this prayer. It doesn't end there, and it's not that God just wants to highlight these things in us for the sake of it. That's not who God is. He is calling us to a higher way of living, a better way of living. That's what this prayer is all about. And I think sometimes we have this tendency to view God as just a God who puts these rules in place, or a God who makes us feel guilty when we don't follow those rules, or, or a God who is just wanting us to trip up every now and then. But that is so far from who God really is. Like, he longs for us to be the most satisfied, most free, 
most unburdened people that we can be. And so when he speaks to us about our offensive ways or our anxious thoughts, like that isn't the end goal. The end goal is the next line in the prayer, that he would lead us in the way everlasting. He would lead us in his better way. And if you read much of the Psalms, you'll find that there are loads of these little pairs where the author like contrasts one thing with another. And so in this prayer, that's exactly what David is doing. He's contrasting our offensive ways with God's everlasting way. And so it's almost like David is suggesting that in those different areas of our life, those different rooms, we've got a choice. And we're presented with a choice between our offensive way and with God's everlasting way, the best, most fulfilling way. And I guess if, like David, we are able to say to God, God, lead me, then he will show us a better way to live, a better way to love the people around us, a better way to do our marriages, our relationships, a better way to view ourselves. It is a better way. And you know, when I was thinking about living this kind of way, and like where, you, where you're humble enough basically to ask God to do that, the person that came to mind was a friend of mine called Paula. And um, lots of you will know Paula. She's been in the church for years. And I've had the privilege of getting to spend quite a bit of time with Paula because she's in the youth team. And everybody loves Paula. Like that is not an exaggeration. Like the youth absolutely love her. The youth team love her. And she is amazing. And her love for Jesus just oozes out of her when you chat with her. But what is really amazing about Paula is when you spend time with her, you realize that she is humble enough to live out this kind of prayer and has been doing so for years, to allow God to lead her. Like she is without a doubt one of the most patient, loving, compassionate people that I know. And again, the thing about Paula is she has not had it easy. Like she has had a lot of reasons to be offended by people, a lot of reasons to have anxious thoughts. Um, Paula's husband, Jack, if you know her, um, has had severe dementia for the last few years. And it's got a lot worse in these last few years. And I've watched Paula make huge sacrifices. And like, it's hard for her. There are days when Jack goes missing for hours. And we get a text saying, like, can you pray? Like, I've got no idea where he is. There's days when I see her and she is just in tears about the whole situation because it's hard. That's just the reality of the situation. But despite all of that, like David, Paula has that intimate relationship with God. And that is what you notice when you spend time with her, that in the midst of all those things, she is able to trust him. She is able to say to God, look, I trust you with any area of my life. And even last week I saw Paula and she said this to me. Um, she didn't know that I was going to be speaking on this, but she said to me, you know what, Ollie, even at 70, there are still things I need to let God do in me. He is not done yet and I need to let him sort them out. You know, through everything, Paula knows Jesus and she knows how good he is and that she knows that she can trust him. And so she is able to pray that prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And you know, that is a bold prayer to pray, isn't it? To, to ask God that, but it is one that will leave us looking more like Jesus after we've prayed it than before we did. And so I guess as... As I finish, the, the question is, what does that look like for you this morning? Like, are you willing to pray that prayer today? Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into any area of your life? And this is important because I think that the, the life and the freedom that we experience in Jesus comes down to how fully surrendered we are to him. The more we surrender, the more freedom that we experience. 
Jesus has given us all of himself, and the question for us is, have we given him all of us? What more do we, do we need to give him? We have to keep praying this prayer. And you know, it might be something for the first time, or it might be something um, that God has been speaking to you about for years, and you, you just need his help. And that's the whole point of this. That's why it's a prayer. It's not something we just need to grit our teeth and do. And I know that this isn't always easy. There's some things that are really hard to work through. But if we as a community could, could do this and we're willing to pray this prayer, then we would become more secure in ourselves. We would become more free and more full of life and more unburdened by those anxious thoughts that we talked about. I don't know about you, but I would love to live like that. So that, that's my prayer, that's my question, sorry, this morning. Are we willing to pray that prayer? Search me, oh God.